number one New York Times bestselling author, Nick Stone. And if I just looked up, it's right over your shoulder. So I just had to look over your shoulder. shoulder. It's right there. Shameless shameless plugging, shameless plugging. No, it's important. We got to do that because writers are, um, to me, everything uh, foundationally. And we don't, to me, give enough honor to real writers, people who are grinding, uh, not the folk doing it for commerce. So um, talk about, first of all, talk about doing this blackout because this is, I think, anybody that has a young person, you have to have this book. This is Black Joy in a beautiful, beautifully written uh, women coming together to give you black joy during a blackout. Beautifully done. Um, and writing, I talked with Angie and Ashley about writing with other people and handing it off. How how hard was that? Because writing is such a singular, solitary space for miss, most of us. Honestly, it wasn't hard at all. Like it's, it's one thing to have to hand it off to somebody you don't know, but all of us are friends, which was really helpful in this process. So we like trusted each other's work. We knew we were all going to come with our A game and we all do such different types of writing that it kind of, it came together in a very cohesive way. Um, And that book, I think really helped us all last summer during the thick of the pandemic, like the pandemic had like just started and nobody had any idea what was going on. Um, the death of George Floyd had just happened and we needed to do something to help us get up out of the funk that we had all slipped into. So we, we wound up writing these love stories, stitching them together and uh, very, very happy with, with what came out of it. So what inspired this story uh, that starts in a subway at 526 p.m.? What inspired it? So, okay, so this whole book came together. Um, it's the brainchild of Danielle Clayton. So she's like the first name listed on the book. And she decided that we should all write a book of these interconnected stories. And she basically told us, she told each one of us where our story was going to take place and what romantic trope we were supposed to be covering. So I was on the subway and my romantic trope was the secret crush. Um, And honestly, I was really excited to have this confined space that I had to work within because it really made me be a little bit more creative when it came to how I told the story. And it it stretched me out a little bit, which was a lot of fun. Um, The hardest part about writing that story was figuring out how one gets off of the subway if there's an emergency, because those instructions are not just plastered everywhere as you would assume. Um, So yeah. I'm in Atlanta. I don't even know all that much about the New York subway system, but I know a whole lot now, including how to get off. I love it. This is great. So I I hadn't gotten blackout, but as I often do when I come on with Karen, uh, I find something I need to order. So I just ordered it. Um, But I've got sons who have read Dear Martin. Um, So I wanted to ask a little bit about the trajectory from Dear Martin um, to um, to first pitch and how you got uh, to telling this story. Uh, so Dear Martin deals with some real life issues and uh, we can see a jumping off point. How do you get to telling the story of first pitch? So, okay, so Dear Martin was my debut novel. Um, I have two sons myself, they are five and nine. The five-year-old just tried to bust up in here and my husband was like, my husband, my husband grabbed him by the collar. He's like, no, can't go in there. Mommy's on an interview. But in 2012, I was pregnant with my first kid. And um, 
I, I just actually had just given birth when I found a, found out about the death of Jordan Davis. So I was pregnant when Trayvon Martin was killed. And then when, Tra when Jordan Davis was killed, my son was five months old. And there was something about like, now I have this little black boy child that belongs to me, that I'm, that I'm responsible for, for taking care of and, and ushering through the world in as safe a way as possible. And so I really wanted to explore what the cause of a black boy losing his life over loud music, like what, what are the, the structures in society that would make a person pull out a gun because a black boy has his music turned up too loud. Um, so that's, that's what became Dear Martin. Because of Dear Martin, I had a lot of, so Dear Martin is aimed at like 14, like seventh grade up, I would say. Because of Dear Martin though, I had a lot of elementary school teachers who would come to me and be like, we love the way that you discuss race and racism in Dear Martin, but I cannot read this book to my third graders. Is there something that you recommend instead? So I wound up writing a book called Clean Getaway. Now Clean Getaway is also a book about race and racism, but it follows a young man named Scoob. He's 12. He's going on this road trip across the American South with his white grandmother. So my kids have a white grandma. My husband is biracial. Um, Mother-in-law is very, very Russian. And it's a lot of fun. But she also was married to a Nigerian man in like the 1970s. So it's thinking about what life might have been like for them. Now, they were in Russia. So like I'm thinking about life in the United States. And I used the idea of an interracial relationship in the 60s as a jumping off point to tell a story about race and racism focused on an 11-year-old. That book <laughs> featured a young lady. The young man in that book, Scoob, had a crush on a young lady named Shanice. And Shanice is the protagonist of Fast Pitch. So Fast Pitch is basically a sandlot retelling about a softball team of little Black girls. And um, in this book, she's trying to lead her all black softball team. This is the first of its kind. And it's like 2021, right? First of its kind ever in this particular league. She's trying to lead them to a league championship really for the sake of making history. But as she's working to get her team there, she finds out that her great grandfather who was also a baseball player was prevented from making history because of a crime that he allegedly committed. Um, she finds out from the great grandfather's little brother that he was set up. And so she sets out on this quest trying to find out the truth while also trying to lead her team to this championship. And it's really a book about family and legacy and how legacy and present reality can create some tension sometimes. So I'm really excited about it. And uh, yeah, it's been a ride. I was thinking it was gonna be, there was a TV show that got canceled, I think too soon. Uh, was starring Kylie Burnberry. Uh, she played a, uh -huh. a pitcher in Major League Baseball. Was called Pitch. Pitcher, right. It was, and I loved that show so much because she was, you know, breaking barriers and it was just it was it was heating up. And then it got canceled. And I was like, ah. And then we had the young lady in Little League. Um, and I forgot her name. Gosh, who went on and, and she was starring in everything at that point. Go ahead, Smith. Tell me in my ear. Do you know her name? All right, I think. All right. Uh, but she she ended up, you know, she wanted to play basketball, but she, you know, was in the World Series, the Boys World Series, and was killing it. So I said, oh, Monet Davis. Thank you, Smith. 
Um, so I was like, fast pitch is going to be something like that. But of course, Nick Stone is never going to do something that's going to be straight over the pit, over the, over the oh, plate. Nah. It's going to take you on nah. a journey. So uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. And I love, and I've said this many times on these airways, I love reading young adult writers because it seems like y'all, you know, I wouldn't categorize you because I hate the labels, but when you can tap into that young thing, you know, it, we all were young. And it, it brings us back to, I think, centering our humanity because usually kids have, you know, very little filter as it relates to right and wrong. Like they know and and they're they're moved by that and they're not jaded. And that's what I really get out of reading a lot of books inspired uh, by young people. So I just, just wanted to say that. Go I ahead. just like pretending I'm still young. So there's that. <laughs> and then there's that. Nick Stone is here. The latest book is Fast Pitch. Starsky is here as well, Dr. Reverend, Reverend Dr. Starsky Wilson. There you go, trolling again. So I wanted to say, so I want to ask about um, um, fast pitch in this sense. Um, you are a Spelman grad, right? Uh, I think I got that right. Um, and um, I just wanted to know what, what we were talking earlier about artistry. Uh, and, and, and I think about environments that help to nurture art. Um, what were the things about either that environment at Spelman? Are there things that you attribute to that context, that environment that helped to nurture uh, your writing now? Um, any inspirations from that uh, from that space? Uh, or just or was it just kind of preparatory space? Or, or none of that, it all came from somewhere else. I mean, really it's all of that. Um, Spelman is where I figured out who I was, right? Like I, I've spent all of these years in these majority white spaces making do. And I, I think most of us who have spent time in majority white spaces, we do a really good job of like turning on the white girl voice and doing what you got to do to just get through the day without having to punch somebody. Um, so going to a place like Spelman and realizing how much more diverse this all black girl school was than my high school, like it was astonishing to me. And it was at Spelman that I realized that all of the lies that I believed about myself as a result of being in these majority white spaces were completely untrue. Um, you mentioned Dear Martin earlier. There's a, there's a scene in Dear Martin um, where the main character has gotten into Yale, early decision, and there's a white boy in class who is just like butthurt about it because he got deferred. So they wind up having this conversation about affirmative action, but it turns out these two kids, the black boy and the white boy, they're literally equally qualified. But when the black boy tells the white boy what his ACT score was, and the white boy finds out that it was higher than the white boy's ACT score, the white boy's like, there's no way, like, nah. I literally pulled that from my life. Like my senior year of high school, I had a girl tell me there was no way I got a higher ACT score than she did. And having those kinds of messages, either directly or indirectly tossed at you for your entire life, like, I didn't even know that I could write fiction. It took me being surrounded by beauty and creativity and power and culture, a culture that I was told was like uncouth, like being surrounded by people who looked like me and who moved the way that I did naturally. It really helped me to see that like, not only can black people make art, black people are art and black people kind of originated art. So coming to that realization, is what helped me to see that like, oh no, no, all of this stuff that's inside of you, it needs to go out into the world because these people are confused about where art even came from, clearly. Yeah. 
What were some of the what were some of the lies that you believed before you got to Spelman? It's a lot of inferiority, you know? Like there was a like, okay, really great example. I never saw myself in books growing up, like ever. I grew up reading Judy Bloom and Lewis Sacker and like I love and I loved these books to the depth of my soul. I loved me some Encyclopedia Brown, though a white boy named Leroy was like, wait, really? I was a little confused about that. But I did love Encyclopedia Brown. I loved Mrs. Piggle Wiggle. I loved all of these books. But when I hit about seventh grade and I realized that like, wait, I'm not in them. Like the message that sends to a kid to never see yourself in a thing you're told you have to be able to do. Like reading and writing are things that we have to be able to do. So to never see yourself represented in those spaces, it's like, wait, does that mean I don't exist? Like, what is, like, I don't know what I can and can't do. Mm. Like, you don't see yourself falling in love or saving the day or having adventures. And so you kind of wonder if people like you are allowed to do those things. So getting to Spelman and like diving headfirst into Alice and Tony and Zora and like all of these and even men, Langston and Ralph Ellison and, and um, oh gosh, Black Baldwin, Boy, Richard Wright, Richard Wright, Baldwin, yeah. Richard Wright, like reading their work, I was like, oh snap, this is like a thing that I can do. So yeah, th- those messages, man, what, for kids what was, are just. What was the book? So for me, same upbringing, love to read, but then I found Maya Angelou. I had to be about 12 and then it was like off to the races. Then it's like, yeah, Gloria Naylor, who else can I read? You know, it's like off to the races. What was the book where you were like, Oh, okay. And I'm sure it didn't, it wasn't at Spelman. I'm sure you had to read a book before Spelman. Literally the year before I was 17. It was the color purple. Okay. Literally I was 17. I had just graduated high school and I mean, you spend, you know, I matriculated through, I said, majority white spaces. And so the stuff we had to read was like The Great Gatsby yeah. and The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn and The Scarlet Letter and womp, 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 dead white men everywhere. Right, like right, we, didn't, right. we didn't see books written by people like us. So I just didn't, I like didn't know. And then also there's this weird sideways messaging that if it's not teachable, it's not good enough, right? So then you have this idea that like, oh, these books by these black people, we don't learn them in school. So clearly they're not good literature. Like they're not, they're not considered literature, which is total BS. It took me though, picking up the color purple and not only seeing, that was my first book that I read that was epistolary. That was like written as these like journal entry letter type things. And it was also my first book that I saw any kind of queer representation on the page. So that book just, mind blown open. And then I think the next thing I picked up was Toni Morrison's Song of Solomon, oh, wow. which again, yeah. and then, and then you, of course you just go into the rabbit hole then. Yeah. Uh, so now young people and I, you know, I both envy and I'm sad for this generation, even though they're dope, this generation coming up is dope. These young people. Um, but we were talking about music, which I know you overheard before we came in and I'm, I'm concerned you know, I'm I'm feeling very concerned that there aren't, you know, the same that we have in, in, in literature. We're not really seeing, in my opinion, outside of her, there are a few people, there are a few people, mm-hmm. but those for the ages, you know, those for the ages, like, you know, a hundred years from now, we still going to be humming and singing those songs, you know, um, 
what are your thoughts on that? Raising children now. I mean, look, I'll be honest with you. I'm not worried at all. And I, and I say I'm not worried at all because you know, I'm 36 and the music I grew up listening, like I turned out okay, right? Like I hear a lot of like, wow, man, these kids are really going to be messed up listening to this music. I'm like, you know, I was listening to Kilo Ali when I was in like sixth grade. <laughs> like he was rapping about some stuff, okay? Trina, Lil' Kim, I listen to all of them on repeat and I am perfectly fine, friends. You can yeah, be ratchet well, and hold educated. on, hold like, on, Nick Stone. Hold, pause, pause, pause. No, no, but, don't worry. I'm, no. I'm, I'm... But, but you were raised, so, so two things can be true. And I think that, you know, those of us who are raised in certain environments, which a lot of folk who listen to Urban View know, you know, y'all are products of that and are doing it right now. You can live these dual lives because we we had to. Right. But if this is your life and this is all you hear and see, you you knew that there was something else. What you were listening to didn't represent the entirety of your existence or blackness because you clearly were living a different life. But what about the kids who are living there? I don't think that's true for the kids who are living it either. Think about it. Like we, this is like the age of information. Like you are exposed to stuff no matter what. Even if these are kids who don't have internet access at home, they got it at school. So they're seeing so much more than I even had access to with my little dial up AOL. Yeah, I remember the little, like it makes a little Yes. So I really do think that we're worried the same way the generation before mine was worried about my generation and the generation before my mama's generation was worried about her generation. And, and I say that as a person who spends a lot of time with kids, like I mentor, I can't tell you how many mentees, I have quite a few mentees right now and they span the the spectrum. Some of them are gay, some of them are non-binary, some of them are trans, some of them are black, white, Latinx, like they're all over the place, but they all really care about other people and that is something that I personally really appreciate. And like, yes, the music can be trash. And I know it can be trash because I definitely still listen to it. Like Migos be on repeat over here. <laughs> not even gonna lie. Migos, <laughs> then it goes to Kendrick, then it goes to the Isley Brothers, then we go to Future. Like we're just all over the place. But, but music has always been a space for expression. And I think that that's okay. And I think it's gonna continue to be a space for expression. But these kids, even the ones who are in very particular environments listening to this music, they do know that there's other stuff out there. Okay. All right. I I trust you, Nick. And y'all can get nicked in I C C E D. I don't know what that means, but I guess you could get it. You can get nicked if you want to. Uh, Nick Stone, uh, best-selling author. The book, the new book is fast pitch, but I think you should get all of the books uh, that she has, that she's a part of, that she's doing uh, some amazing things. You're, you're, you talked about, you know, Danielle, uh, Tiffany, Angie Thomas, of course, Ashley Woodford, uh, Nicola Yoon, who uh, collaborated with Blackout. I'm loving that there's so much more collaboration than when I was coming up. You know, when I, I came up in an era where there could only be one person in the space, you know, and then everybody else was like mad, you know, or trying to get your space and then stab you in the back, which is why I'm so hyper um, cognitive. You know, I'm so about the collaboration. I'm so about yeah. making sure that I share this platform and every platform that I'm on because I hated that. I, th- I think there's yeah. room. And I'm, uh, my thing was, I'm not fighting over a crumb. I'm a, I'm a baker. I'm a bake another cake. You can have a slice. You know, I'm not going to fight over a crumb. We don't have to fight over crumbs. Let's be bakers. Here's some eggs and flour and some sugar. Let's go. 
Right. How did how did, was this just naturally part of the you know your your you know going to Spelman maybe I don't know how do you have so many friends in writing? Something. I mean, I first some. of all, we all we got right. Like <laughs> it's like twelve of us <laughs> in the kidlit industry, right? There there are not that many black writers now. There are more and more and more. But Danielle and Nicola both debuted in 2015. They were the only two black debuts that year. Me, Tiffany, uh, me, Tiffany, Angie. And Ashley were all 2017 and we were four of like seven. So it's not like there were a whole lot of people who look like us coming into the industry at the same time. The other piece of this is that we're all pretty aware of the dangers of tokenism. And we're very, very aware of the fact that like, if I'm fighting you for this one space, all these white people keeping all these other spaces and like, I'm not with that. So we gonna make sure that you're taking up space, but spaces that they had because it's time for some things to shift. So that's how, and we come together like that too. You know, there is nothing but love and support amongst me and my homegirls. And it is a really great space to create from. I like could not be more thankful. Thus the cookout, y'all. That's the way that is supposed to look. That's right. huh? Are you watching? Are you watching Big Brother? No, not right now. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm, right. I, I'm under like four deadlines. Oh. I'm gonna catch up on it when I'm done, though. Okay. Oh, you do know what I'm talking <laughs> about. All right. All right. I do Nick know Stone. what you're talking about. Yes. Nick Stone is here. Um, I saw you. You did a project with uh, Marvel as well. Like you doing mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, tell me about Shuri. Tell me about Shuri, Girl, who's be... probably gonna be the Black Panther, y'all. She's gonna be. She's gonna be the Black. My Panther. heart and soul. She my heart and soul. So, the, so the wild thing. And this is one of my favorite things to tell kids, right? The wild thing about these Shuri books. So the third one comes out in January. And the coolest thing about these books is that Marvel came to me. So what I tell these kids is like, yo, just go out and do your best work. Like you never know what's going to happen as a result of you just doing your job, keeping your eyes on your paper and doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing. Um, I went to see the first Black Panther movie in 2018, just like everybody else. And I remember <laughs> leaving the theater with my partner and being like, babe, I gotta figure out some way that I can write books about that Shuri character because she is everything. And literally eight months later, I got an email asking me if I wanted to do it. And there's, it is such a dope world to create in. Like this is the other, my other saving grace during the pandemic was that I got to live in Wakanda for like six months, like in my imagination. Like I'm in there building out the Jabari lands because nobody had ever actually seen them. So like they've never been seen on screen besides that ice palace, like the ice throne room. Right, and then barking, showing up barking, showing up with Winston Winston barking. Exactly, but the actual Jabari lands had never been pictured anywhere. So I got to build them, like in, in a book, I got to build out what they look like. And like, come on, man, like there's nothing like that. So it is. I am having a blast, to say the very least. Yeah. You're under four deadlines. Uh, you're writing projects that we're all going to see. We're excited about that. Um, a lot of artists I know have like the going thing that they're working on that nobody's asked for, but it's the thing that they have to do. Um, what's, the, what's the project that you've got to do that nobody's asking for and you're dreaming about it right now? It is literally the opposite of everything that I'm that I'm like used to doing and everything that people associate me with. It's an adult thriller that's basically like Girl on the Train meets P Valley. So Ooh. it's a thriller about yeah. You better it's a do murder that. mystery a murder mystery about strippers. 
Wow. What? Oh, is that the Atlanta? You know, I was like, what you know about that, Nick? Oh, girl, I live down. The, I live down the street from Onyx. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey. Okay. Oh, huh? Like, literally, like Onyx is five minutes from my house. I could probably walk there. <laughs> All right. This this is so much fun. I am so proud. That's First great. of all, let me just tell you how proud I am. And I'm grateful to be in the space that I am to be able to know that this is existing, that it's possible. All of these things are possible. And I love that you're taking up space wherever you are because it's all our space. We shouldn't be confined yes. to this little ghetto of a, you know, the little black lit section. You know, we mm-hmm. shouldn't be confined to anything. How about that? How about we're too big for that? Absolutely. I love it. I completely agree. Since we built it all anyway, that's we're all, not gonna go there. Yeah, we should go there. I mean, it's fine. It's it's reclaiming our time and our mind. All of that we need mm-hmm. to reclaim um, and our space, our space as well. Yes. Um, I need y'all to get blackout because it's dope and and Nick is in it. I need you to get fast pitch because it's amazing. I need you to get all of the Shuri books. The next one comes out in January. I need you to get Dear Martin because it's just all of that. And I need you to follow Get Nicked on the Twitter. Hopefully she'll follow me back. I don't know. Nick, you need to follow me. Stop playing. Look, uh, I don't ever yes. be on Twitter. I'm that's... an Instagram girl. Oh, so all I will right. go on Twitter. Okay, just, just to, to follow, follow me. Just that's it. Because people it. are at you. So it. just do it today so you can respond to the people that are at you. And on yes, Instagram, ma'am. it's it's get nicked as well. No, I'm at Nick Stone. Oh, you got your whole name. N I C N I C Stone. <laughs> Um, and that's short for what her real name is. Uh, but I appreciate <laughs> appreciate you being here. Thanks for coming back. You got an open seat at our table. 